Romans chapter 5. Romans in chapter number five, looking forward to trying to get this message across here tonight and trusting it'll be a blessing. In fact, it really does fit. Not just saying that, it really does fit. Uh, The believers here in Rome were going through quite a bit. They really were. And Paul uh, is writing to them to be a source of help and encouragement. We'll get more into the context as we get to it here tonight. I'll save that for then. But Romans chapter number five. In fact, I'd like to start in verse uh, chapter four and verse number 25, and then just let it flow as, as um, I mean, where, where do you start in Romans, right? Where do you start and where do you stop? I mean, it's just, it's so, so packed. Uh, so chapter four, verse 25 says, who, talking about Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, raised again that we might be justified in the sight of God. Declared righteous, the word justification. One of my favorite Bible doctrines is the doctrine, the teaching of justification. Declared righteous and treated that way. Declared righteous and treated that way. Therefore, verse one of chapter five, therefore being justified by faith. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope or the assurance. The word hope there is assurance or confidence and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Well, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23 says, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here he says we can rejoice in the hope or the assurance of the glory of God. You see that? Okay, what a difference there. And not only so, verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in, look at this now, we glory in tribulations. Be pressures. Literally, pressures of life. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also knowing or because we know, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed, doesn't disappoint. Hope maketh not ashamed because, look at this, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we yet, when we were yet without strength in due time, in other words, he's saying right there, at just the right time, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Look at verse 7, what it says. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just keeps getting even better. Look at verse number nine. Much more than. So a little bit before he said, not only so, 
then said more. Now he says, much more than, much more than, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, he's saying, if he treated us that way when we were his enemies, how do you think he's going to treat us now that we're his children? (laughs) Man, this is good stuff right here. Verse 11, I think that's where we are. And not only so, but if we, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Quite a passage. Quite a passage. This morning we um, were focused on John 3 and the depth of God's love. The, the deepness of God's love. And tonight we're going to look at this, the display of God's love. The display. It said in verse 8 that God commendeth or he showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The display of God's love. Uh, Let me just say right here, through all of life, a lot of this message is geared towards you as believers, but I'm going to make application also to those that are not saved because we want you to know that you can be saved. Because the Bible makes it clear that you can know for sure that you're saved. Born again on your way to heaven. But, but I want to say to everybody here, through life, whatever comes, you can know that God loves you. You can know that God loves you. You know why? Obviously, because he does. Knowing the love of God throughout your whole life. You don't have to doubt it. But I would imagine every one of us here at one time or another, we've doubted God's love. It's probably for one of three reasons that we're going to look at them tonight. We've got three basic problems in life. Well, we've got more. But we can kind of organize them all under three basic problems that he addresses right here for us. I'm so excited to see this. So may God bless the reading of his his word. As you're seated, we're going to get started. As I mentioned this morning in in the morning service here in John chapter 3, you know, our theme being love God's way. I mean, what greater chapter could we go to than John 3 to look at the love of God for us? But in John chapter 3, we saw that uh, we can know the depth of God's love by being born again from above and how that Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. I said this morning, it was Spurgeon who preached over 300 times in London. I had that wrong, got away from my notes. It was George Whitfield, but nonetheless, he preached over 300 times that you must be born again. And they asked him, why, why do you preach so often on the fact that you must be born again? And he answered this way, because you must be born again. You gotta be born again to know God's love. You truly do. I mean, to fully know God's love because God is holy. You need a nature that is just like his. You, you can't walk with God. You can't have fellowship with God if, you don't, if you're not saved, if you haven't been born again because you only have a sin nature and through Christ, you can have a brand new nature, a, a, uh, a nature like his and thus there can be fellowship between God and man. 
And so I don't thank God tonight, here before we move on, that all who believe can be born, are born again. All who trust him as Savior are born again. Now, as we heard from Brother Garvey's testimony, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not one of us deserved to be on our way to heaven. Not, not one of us could have in any wise said, well, here's how, what I did to get to heaven. No, there'll be no boasters in heaven. There'll be no boasters in heaven. There's not going to be a pocket of people over there that saying, well, what'd you do to get here? Well, we all had to come by the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation is God's work. Your part is simply faith and believing. It's, on, it's by grace through faith. And so here Paul is talking about that display of God's love. And we've got three basic problems. I'm just going to mention, to, mention them to you up front, and then we're going to get into the message here and, and kind of work through it. But, but one thing that every one of us have is a sinful past. Now, uh, Brother Gray Cox gave good testimony this morning. He was saved at age eight. I also was saved at age eight. Some of you were saved prior to eight. But, but I, I, I know, and you know tonight if you're saved, it took just as much of grace of God to save you at age eight if it did, as it did somebody that was saved at age 28 that had lived a life of sin up to that point. Hey, we're all saved by the same grace. And so uh, Brother Gray had to be saved that same way. And so I, I realized what he was saying at the age of eight. You know, I mean, you hadn't done a whole lot of, I mean, you sinned a lot. But you hadn't done a lot of what the, what the world would call grievous sins. But, but still, well, how much sin does it take to condemn a, a person to hell? Well, it, it, any sin is, is condemning, and so uh, we have a sinful past. But, but even after we're saved, we still deal with, the, with sin. And so, in fact, our second problem is our struggle, our struggle in this life. We, we have personal struggles in this life. So you got past sin, present struggles, and then you got the future wrath of God to be concerned about. Okay, so past sin, present struggles, and the future wrath of God. That's what Paul's dealing with here. And he's dealing with people that have been thinking about this because the Roman believers living there in Rome, uh, they were under persecution. They were facing a lot of problems and difficulties. And they themselves were having a hard time. I mean, in many ways, they were faltering and failing. And they take a step forward and take two steps back. Anybody else here ever done that before in your Christian life? And trying to make some progress. And they were struggling with that. I mean, while they were in church, they were doing fine. But then they had to live the rest of the week outside of church meetings. And so we struggle. There's personal struggles that we all have. And, and things were ramping up. And so they were concerned about that. And so Paul's writing to them. He'd never been there, by the way. He'd never been to Rome. Not at this point. He's getting ready to go there. He's writing what maybe in many ways we would call uh, a, a treatise or a tract that he's sending ahead of him to let them know what he believed. There was some skepticism about Paul. There was some thoughts about Paul that maybe his ideas about grace gives people the liberty to sin. And, and Paul answered that very quickly in John in Romans chapter number six. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he said it very plainly this way. God forbid. That's absolutely way outside of God's will. We don't, we don't sin to get more grace. No, because we've been saved by grace, we ought to live for him a life apart from sin. And so Paul is, is writing ahead of time to show them what he believes. Listen to this, specifically on the matter of salvation. So this is a wonderful, wonderful letter that you could read. Um, in fact, if you're new to the Christian faith, the book of Romans is really going to help you get educated on this pretty quickly. Now, it's not all easy to understand, but you just start reading and you're going to find some great Bible truths right here. 
And if you're not saved and you want to read a book of the Bible that'll help you to understand what it means to be saved, the book of Romans would be fantastic because he's explaining what it means to be saved. I, uh, in preparation for the messages here uh, this weekend, I came across an illustration that Brother Sam used. He was making a hospital visit and a group of young men that were from a cult were just outside in the lobby area and and they were wearing their name tags that said elder so-and-so and elder so-and-so. And so if you know uh, some about cults, you know which one that I'm talking about. And, and so uh, Brother Sam just um, went over to him and said, hypothetical situation here. <laughs> you see where this is going. This is going to get good in a hurry, isn't it? Hypothetical situation here. There's a man up in ICU that has about 10 minutes to live. He wants to know how to go to heaven. What are you going to tell him? How about that? And they, they fumbled around and gave an answer that was based on works and, and one that you can't know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. But one of those four said, well, what do you believe? <laughs> Actually said to him, what would you tell him? And so Brother Sam told them the gospel and the other three ridiculed, but this guy still had some questions. Let me ask you tonight. If you were going to go to somebody that was in ICU and about to die, what would you tell them? Better yet, if you were about to die, you're at ICU, you've been in a, in a car accident and you're on, on, on just limited time. Do you know what you ought to do to be saved? Hey, listen, every one of us are, are at a place where you never know how long you have to live in this life. The Bible says how you can know for sure that you're saved. You say, well, what did he tell him? I'm, I'm getting ready to tell you right here. Romans chapter one, all have sinned. He's talking about the Gentiles, how that everybody has sinned. Romans chapter two, the Jews have sinned. The Jews kind of felt smug because they were Jewish people, okay? But listen, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, you still need to be saved by the grace of God. Romans chapter three, the Bible uses the law to show us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And that every mouth should be stopped because every one of us before God, before salvation, we would be proven guilty. Proven guilty. And therefore, Paul concluded that we are justified by grace through faith apart from works. That's Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 4, there might still be some Jews in his audience that are saying, I'm not sure about all this. He says, well, how about the patriarch Abraham? He was saved. He, he uh, believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, watch this, before he was circumcised. And so he was not saved or justified by works. Abraham was saved or justified by faith. David also, one of their leading uh, Jewish leaders, was also saved by grace through faith. So there's Abraham and David that were saved by grace through faith. And so Paul is making the point that all people, if they're saved, are saved or justified by grace through faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, watch this, peace with God. Peace. Well, people in the world need some of that, don't they? Peace with God. That, watch, that doesn't just mean the absence of hostility between you and God, although that would be of major concern. But it also means this, a good relationship between you and God. Peace with God. Therefore, being justified by grace, we have peace with God. You, you know what that means? Everything's all right. 
no, no, hang on, wait a minute. Everything's all right between me and God, between you and God. If you're saved tonight, justified by grace, justified by faith, we have peace with God. I don't have to worry about my past sin. It's under the blood. I don't have to worry about my past. Well, I hope somebody here tonight will get hold of that. Or actually, let me say it this way. I hope somebody here tonight that that, that truth will get hold of you. Peace with God. You don't have to worry about the sins of your past. By whom, look at verse number two here. By whom also we have what? Access. Access by faith. Notice this. Into this grace wherein we what? Stand. So by the way, this is not a one-time access. We have a continual access by grace, by, by uh, faith rather, into this grace wherein we stand. We have past sin, we have present struggles, and we have a future that, that apart from Christ is one of wrath. But, but watch how this develops here. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know what he's saying right here? He's saying, listen, I realize that as believers, even still at this time, there's going to be struggles that you're going to have with sin. Has any uh, other believers ever had some struggles along the way with sin? Sure. Chapter six is going to be about our struggle against sin. Chapter seven, Paul's going to say the things that I would do, I do not. The things that I would not, those I do. Who shall save me from this, from, the, from this sin? He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. There is there now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter number eight. So Romans chapter five is like a little microcosm of Romans six, seven, and eight all packed in together. So what he's doing in Romans chapter five is he's, he's packing it all in and now he's gonna begin to unpack it as he goes into the rest of the chapters. So we're looking at the concentrate right here. He says, we have, we've been saved from our past. It does not define you. I, I say even to those of you that, that are saved and yet you've been plagued by sins of your past. Hey, listen, they don't define who you are today. Because in Jesus Christ, you stand in him. Your past does not define who you are. And if you're still having struggles today, you've got access. Access to the grace of God to help you today against the struggle that you're in. <laughs> Man, this is awesome. Okay, let's, let's keep reading here. By, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, the assurance of the glory of God. I know I'm going to be in his presence someday. That certainly would be communicated here. But also this, I have the assurance that, that I'm in him, that it's, I'm not in my own righteousness or rather uh, pathetic self-righteousness. I'm not standing in that anymore. I'm standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's not looking at me. He's looking at Jesus. I'm in Christ. I've got the assurance of the glory of God. Are you following what he's saying right here? Then look what he says in verse number three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Um, hey, look, it's not just when you're saved that you get to know about the love of God, but it's also when you're in a difficult spot that you get to know about the love of God. He says, uh, 
And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. We, we rejoice in tribulations also. It's kind of like what James said, brethren, or, or sorry, beloved, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you uh, be glad for the temptations and testings and difficulties that come? Because they work patience. They work endurance. Look at it. Um, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, or the word patience here means endurance. Uh, it means steadfastness. It means this, that God wants us along the way as believers to go through some hard times so that we get in our lives some stick to Okay, look at this next part here. And patience experience. When I looked up the word experience, it means this proven character, proven character. So this steadfastness reveals a proven character. All right. Watch this now. And that experience hope again, assurance. He started with hope. He comes back to hope. All right. And hope this hope maketh not ashamed. It does not disappoint. All right, so let me, let me back up here just a minute. Here are people that at one time were in sin, but they're saved by the grace of God. Here are people now that have struggled. And in fact, they've even failed. They've had struggles along the way. Every day wasn't a high friend day kind of day. They had some low days. They had some difficult days. They thought about giving up. They thought about going back. They thought about giving in. They, they maybe even thought things like this. Oh, what's the use? And yet God still loved them through all that. God still loved them through all of that. And, and then as they got things right with God, then they began to grow. And that's what we're reading about in, in verses 3 and 4 is really Christian growth. Which, by the way, when hard times come, if you respond right to God, you grow. If you don't respond right to, go, to God, then, then you don't grow. I mean, really, that's what he's communicating here. But as you respond right and you remember that God loves you, you begin to grow. And experience uh, brings hope, and hope maketh not a shame. Look, look at the basis of all this. Verse number five, because the love of God is shed abroad. Now, this was a fascinating word right here. These two words, shed abroad, literally means poured out in great abundance. Poured out the love of God. It's not our love for God, but it's God's love for us. The reason that hope maketh not ashamed is because the love that God has for us, the love of God, is, is, watch this now, is poured out or shed abroad, poured upon us abundantly. You're, you're gonna see that word uh, shed, ab shed abroad in different contexts about literally pouring of liquid, but, but here it is. The love of God is poured upon us abundantly or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying this. If you're saved, then the Holy Spirit of God lets you know, if you're listening, he lets you know in clear terms that God loves you abundantly. The Holy Spirit of God will let you know that God loves you. 
Now, you, you may choose not to listen to him, but the Holy Spirit of God, it says, I'm just reading the Bible. Is everybody else reading the same Bible I'm reading right here? It says that the Holy Spirit, I, I don't think I'm making this up. In, in fact, this is experientially. This is, uh, we might even say subjectively, if you want to use a technical term there about that, subjectively based on your experience. We're going to get to the objective proof of God's love, but right here we're looking at the subjective proof, proof of God's love. We might even say it this way, the emotional Hey, well, listen, in fact, it's not a bad thing that God gave you emotions. And God can let you know, God can let you know that he loves you. God, God can shed that abroad in your heart by the work of the Holy Ghost. Let's look back at the verse again. It says that, that this is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It is shed abroad in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your failings. Hey, listen, if you just listen to it, the, to listen to him rather, the Holy Spirit of God helps you to know. I'm just reading what the Bible says right here. And it, it says right here that the Holy Spirit of God will tell you God loves you still. He loves you. He forgave you of your past. He's given you a home in heaven. That's not going to change. And even though you are failing right here, and even though you're in a hard time right here, even though you're going through some hard times right here, listen to this, God still loves you. Sometimes in the midst of those difficult life experiences, we can doubt that God loves us. And that's why he moves on then to the objective side of God's love, that which can be measured. Are you, are you understanding the difference there? Subjectively, somebody says, well, how do you know God loves you? Well, I'll tell you how I know he loves me. He told me he loved me. <laughs> That'll work. Well, where do you find that? In the Bible. Well, where else do you find that? The Holy Ghost that lives within me tells me that God loves me. The Holy Spirit that lives within you tells you, if you're listening... There's a lot of other voices you can listen to, but if you listen, even in the midst of your life's darkest moments. And there's some believers in here that have been through some pretty dark moments. But here's what's happened is they have been mindful of the fact that God still loves them. They've come out with some experience, which is some proven character and some spiritual growth in their life because in the, in, the midst, in the midst of their dark times, they didn't get in a place where they said, I don't think God loves me. No, no, listen, they kept, they kept, they kept listening to what God said and that he was telling them, I love you. Well, I'm glad he does that. I don't always know exactly how he does. I mean, he's God. He can do it however he wants to, but he just certainly does it through his word. Well, how else does he show he loved us? Look at verse 6 and 7 and 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse number 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yea, peradventure, for a good man would some even dare to die. Scarcely, rarely, it's very rare that a, that a, that a person would die even for a righteous man. For, for a righteous man, for a good man, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there are people that have given their lives. Veterans Day. We are remembering those that have served our country. And some really did pay the ultimate price. They gave their life, saving the life of their battle buddy. They saved the life of their friend. They, they saved the life of, uh, of their fellow uh, soldier. They, they, they gave their life in battle. I mean, that, 
But it's rare, isn't it? It's rare. Um, think about a parent maybe that saved a child that was drowning and that, that parent helped the child out, but the, the parent drowned. First responders. We've got first responders right here. Brother John Davis just went into a, a burning apartment and saved the life of a child. I don't know. I just saw a picture of it. Brother John, we thank God for you and others that are here tonight that, that when we're running away from danger, they're running into danger. For a little child, beautiful picture. But Paul is saying right here, listen, that's very rare that that happens. But the reason he's pointing that out is very rare is, watch this, that is the height of human love. That's the height of human love that, that, man, that man would give their lives for somebody that maybe is a good man or, or somebody that they love, that they cared about. That's the height of human love. But here's what he's saying in verse number eight. It doesn't even begin to compare with the type of love that God has for us. Because God, I think about those people that, that even on the Titanic, that, that they, they could have saved themselves by getting a lifeboat, but some of those men stepped back and said, no, I must be a gentleman. And, and they gave their place to women and children and, and they perished. They went down with the Titanic and, and while others were saved, that's, that's, um, that's commendable. That's human love. That's, that's the height of human love. But here it is, God committed his love towards you while you were yet sinning against him. Human love, no, it doesn't even begin to compare with God's love because God gave his life. Jesus gave his life for his enemies. Not for his friends. That's love. That's measurable love. That's measurable, immeasurable love. It's beyond our comprehension that God, Jesus Christ, would die in our place. God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right here, he's just telling these Roman believers, he's saying, by the way, this is the first time love is mentioned in the book of Romans. And he's saying to them, listen, I want you to know this. Regardless of your sinful past, God loves you. Regardless of the struggles that you're in right now, in the midst of those struggles, let me say it that way, in those tribulations, God loves you. He proved his love to you. He shows his love to you. He tells his love to you through the Holy Spirit of God that lives within you, showing you, telling you, shedding abroad in your heart that God loves you. And, and, and so he loves you past your past. He loves you in the midst of your struggles. And then thank God here for this. He loves you and saves you from the coming wrath. Look at verse number nine when he says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Saved from wrath. We'll never go to hell, though we deserve it. We won't go into the tribulation, though we deserve it. We're saved from wrath. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. As we've already mentioned, if he showed his love to you when you were his enemies, how much more will he show his love to you now that you are indeed his child? You don't have to fear losing your salvation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He would say later in Romans chapter 8, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that justifieth. It's, it's Him. I mean, he, he saved us. Nothing, no one, nothing. You can't separate yourself from God's love. Amen. 
Well, if it was up to us, we would have lost it a long time ago. Now, there, there may be somebody here tonight that's not saved. And if that's you, then, then here's where you are. Can I help you here tonight? You still have all your past sin that has not been accounted for that you're responsible for. Isn't that right? He died in your place. But if you haven't trusted him as your savior, you're under that condemnation now. It's a staggering thought. You're going through the struggles of life without him. And you're facing the wrath of God. But there's a way to be saved. He commended or showed his love to you in that while you were yet a sinner, he died for the sins of your past to enter into your life today to help you today and to spare you from the wrath to come. And in one simple trip to the altar, one simple time out in the foyer, even a time at home, somebody saved at home. I know some here were saved driving down the road, pulled over and asked the Lord to save them. But at one point in time, God, I know that I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Would you save me? Just like that. Unseen to the human eye. Watch this. Righteous. <laughs> Righteous. How can he call us righteous since we're so unrighteous through his? Because Jesus enters into your life. Now you have his righteousness. Now you have his help. Now you have a future that he has settled. You don't have to fear the future. You don't have to be haunted by the past. You don't have to struggle with stuff today without his help. When you say it that way, it makes no sense not to receive Him as your Savior. Encourage you to do so. Those of you that are believers, and you got a past that haunts you, you don't have to worry about it. It's under the blood. you got struggles today. You've got access. Continual access in the grace. We're in you stand. He gets you in. He gets you in again and again and again and again. Does he mind if I come often? No. You come as often as you need to that throne of grace. How, isn't there like a limit or something to this? No. You just keep coming. And then we got a home in heaven on top of all that. No wonder we can sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. No wonder we can sing and hear the choir sing about that blood. No wonder we can rejoice together. That's what he's doing right here. Rejo- In fact, three times I meant to point out the word boasting and rejoicing. It's all right there. He's saying, listen, I can't boast in myself, but I'll tell you who I will rejoice and boast in. Jesus Christ. And that he saved me. Did Paul have a past? Oh, yeah. Did he have struggles in the present? He said he did. But was Paul settled about the future? He most certainly was. And so can you be as well. He does a marvelous work in saving us. Whether you were saved at eight, you were saved at 20-something, 
or 50-something or 70-something. It doesn't matter. He's still marvelous in the way he saves us. It's a blessing. What's bothering you in the past? What's your present struggles? What's your fears about the future? You just need to know he loves you. And trust him. He's doing a great work. Brother Brad Allen gave his testimony this morning, didn't you, Brother Brad? Raise your hand, Brother Brad, just right there. Brother Brad saved down in Florida. I've described it this way to others. He has more mug shots than high school pictures. Isn't that about right? He's got a sinful past, but God saved him out of it. Changed his life. Brought him through some struggles, brought him here, Southwest Baptist Church. Gave him a godly young lady. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. You know, I could go around the room a little bit more here tonight. In fact, if I started going, we'd be here all night long. Why is that? He's a great Savior. He's a great Savior, and He loves us. He loves you more than what I can even begin to describe to you. You may not love yourself right now. You may hate what you've done. You may, you, you may be struggling with, with accepting you know, your, your own self and just down on yourself. But let me, let me tell you something. He loves you unconditionally. It's not based on your performance. Thank God for that. Amen. Father, thank you tonight. I'm amazed by your love. Amazed. How that you set us free from our past. How that you help us in the midst of our struggles. And even when we doubt your love, it doesn't change the fact of your love. And when we are unsettled about the future, it doesn't mean that you are. God, I thank you for that tonight. Tonight, dear God, I pray for any here that do not know you as Savior. I pray that they would know the love of God that you have for them. I pray that they would trust you as their Savior. Tonight, God, my heart's been also on believers just because of the study of the Word here and the way it's written to believers about your love. Some of them were doubting. But I thank you, God, that your love and the hope that we have will never disappoint us. And so I praise you for it here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.